want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices or to the screen up here. We are coming now to uh, Daniel chapter 5 as we've been making our way through this amazing Old Testament narrative. And as you're turning and as you're finding that, as the kids are being dismissed, I I, want to ask you for something. Um, I want to ask that as the Lord may bring me to your thoughts that you would be praying for me over the next few weeks, a couple things. Um, First of all, pray for me next weekend as I travel to the Twin Cities. I'm going to be preaching at Cornerstone Community Church in Burnsville. And pray for me also, not just as I preach, but as um, I want to, I'm seeking to serve a church that's in a bit of a crisis, has been a challenging chapter in their story. And uh, whatever help I may be, it must be asserted with great wisdom and prudence and discretion. So as the Lord brings me to mind, please pray about that. Then I'd also appreciate your prayer on my behalf on Election Day, November 3rd. I'm not running for any public office. Uh, You don't need to pray about that. Um, But I am, God willing, going to have total hip replacement surgery. And uh, given the invasive severity of that kind of a procedure, I will most likely be on the, as they say in the NFL, the pup list for a while, the physically unable to perform list, probably, who knows, we'll see until... December. So I I will thank God for your intercession on my behalf for a successful operation and God willing an uncomplicated surgery. And these days, I mean, if you just make it another two weeks without getting sick, that would be good too. So um, I appreciate your prayers. Now, before we give our attention to Daniel 5, uh, again, let's bow before the Lord together. so thankful, Father, that you have seen fit to reveal yourself. It is astonishing that the maker of heaven and earth, the one who knit these little ones in the womb, the one who has charge over the change of the seasons, you're so powerful and wise that you uh, you would speak specifically to your people. And, um, and so, Lord, we want to have uh, a disposition right now that would be fitting. We want to we be ready to hear you. and We want to ask for the work of your Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts. And we would ask for the work of your Spirit to open our ears through which you speak and by which we then see your glory. I want to pray that you would pour out your spirit upon our hearts to be receptive to you. Thank you, God, that you've been walking us through this remarkable book. And uh, we're ready to hear you again now. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you that are guests with us today, we've been making our way through the book of Daniel, and we come now to chapter 5. If the... If the gospel purpose of Daniel chapter 4 was, that we looked at last week, is to produce humility, humility in the lives and hearts and 
being of God's people, then the gospel purpose of Daniel chapter 5 is to engender the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord's beginning of everything. Everything good. Fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of humility. It's the beginning of deliverance. It's the beginning of godliness. Fear of the Lord is, is what produces love and repentance and freedom and transformation. Fear of the Lord is very significant. And that's what I believe the Lord is aiming to accomplish among us through this text. Daniel chapter 5 begins with a, a very sudden and abrupt shift from the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar to the kingship of Belshazzar. And it starts with this massive dinner. Look at verses 1 through 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of that thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, or was under the influence of that wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is an impressive event on one level. Thousand noblemen invited to a party together with the king and his many wives and his many women. But as lavish an event as it was, the author is already drawing our attention to the emptiness of Belshazzar's life. Unlike his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar, who crushed kingdoms and plundered cities and built this just phenomenally glorious imperial city of Babylon, the biggest thing that Belshazzar could make was a dinner where he became the inglorious spectacle, drinking himself under the table. The author clearly means for us throughout this chapter to compare the two. One established an empire, the other planned a party. And the the centerpiece of the event, even that, namely the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, had been, they had been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar, not Belshazzar. In fact, all Belshazzar contributed was blasphemy, the blasphemy of God, of God's presence, of God's power, by using the sacred vessels dedicated to worship of God as dinnerware for a feast dedicated to the praise of idols. It's unthinkable. But Belshazzar didn't have much time to enjoy his sin fest. For a while he and his friends were praising their man-made gods. The Most High God chose to show up and reveal himself. And it rocked their gathering according to verses 5 through 9. 
says, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So again, the, the writer underscores this difference between Belshazzar and his predecessor. When when Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, they they troubled him, they frightened him. But when this divine hand appears writing on Belshazzar's wall he was he was undone the phrase his limbs gave way and knees knocked together are more literally rendered he lost control of his bodily functions and we can kind of imagine what that would mean And when his wise men were of no help in interpreting the writing, it was left to the queen mother (laughs) to resolve King Belshazzar's crisis. Which, by the way, um, according to the cultural context, having the queen mother be called upon to fix things would have just simply added to his humiliation. And so it took the queen to remind Belshazzar of the existence of Daniel, whose ability to untangle Mysteries had been repeatedly proven over and over again during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Verses 10 through 12 says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. (laughs) There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. And the implication of this repetition of your father, your father, Your father, the king, made Daniel chief magician is, bro, you should have known who to call. Where's your brain? Verses 13 to 17. And then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, 
You're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can, (laughs) given the gravity of the situation, this is this blatant skepticism on Belshazzar, his part. It's, It's just shocking. If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third in the ruler of the, ki- the, sh- the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, "Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation." So the very first thing that Daniel does, besides bluntly informing Belshazzar that his service is not for sale, is communicating once again how empty, how wanting is Belshazzar in comparison to Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, you line them up and it's just... The scale just goes Verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Meaning, the most high God has not given you anything of majesty or any such greatness. And though Nebuchadnezzar had received his greatness, it's, it's kind of a, a godlike authority, right? <laughs> to kill or to keep alive or to raise up or bring down. He gave them to Nebuchadnezzar as gifts. And as gifts, when he became puffed up and arrogant, it was God again who brought him back to reality. Look at verses 19 to 21. Because of the greatness that he, that's God, the greatness that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, And his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until... Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. Daniel's point here is crystal clear. Nebuchadnezzar had something to be proud of. 
and yet God humbled him. The weight of Belshazzar's accomplishments is zero. By comparison, there's zero, there's nothing. He should have learned something from his father and their family history. He should have taken their parent-child dedication seriously. God had revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar knew it. He had every opportunity to have humbled himself just as Nebuchadnezzar had. But listen. Listen, sons and daughters. He would not. He didn't humble himself. Instead, his sorry indiscretion is committed before a thousand people or more. And there is a proper line of restraint in God's world and Belshazzar crossed it. His blasphemy was not because of his ignorance. It wasn't because he didn't know any better. The Jews posed no threat to him or to his empire. The, the, but the Jews and their sacred vessels symbolized something. They symbolized the presence and the power of God. And Belshazzar knew exactly what those vessels were and where they had come from. He knew exactly what he was doing. And loved ones, listen carefully. This is the main point of Daniel chapter 5. God is not mocked. He is the sovereign Lord over all, no matter what. And who, those who remain in willful rebellion against God's authority, against God's holiness, against God's gracious patience, they will not stand. The wages of sin is death. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will weep, reap from, will from the flesh reap corruption. We dare not presume upon the grace that God has shown to others. Oh God, you've been so good to my parents and so kind to my sons and daughters. What do I need to fear? Listen. To know that God is gracious and yet not turn from your sin to Him in light of that graciousness is to fall under God's righteous judgment. Make no mistake about it. it. It was not alcohol that made Belshazzar dull and presumptuous. It was a sinful heart that made him spiritually blind and spiritually deaf and with no sense of reality. And into this presumption, the Lord speaks. Jesus tells a story. And in this story, according to Luke 12, 19 to 20, I will say to my soul, 
Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Chill. Party on. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And so it was for Belshazzar. His soul was required of him that very night. And still, God mercifully gave him one more warning. In verse 22. And you, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God, listen, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored and then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. Verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances, found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Numbered, numbered, weighed Divided. Or to put it more bluntly, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. And the Lord brought the Babylonian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, to an end just like that because King Belshazzar had been weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's like Nebuchadnezzar's vision. The feet were absolutely nothing but clay. Just gave way. Verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. The armies of the Medes and the Persians had been outside while he was partying. And those steely-eyed operators came in and took him out. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It's a, it's a poignant illustration, is it not, of, of what we just noted in that parent-child dedication. All it took to bring down mighty Babylon was just one generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
Friends, the, the author of the book of Daniel recounts this story for a purpose. And his aim is to strengthen the faith of his people and their hope in God so that they might love him and obey him and entrust themselves to him. Can the Belshazzars of this world ever thwart God's purposes? Think about it. We were praying about this yesterday. Will Will the people groups of the Horn of Africa remain unreached simply because they have been exiled to other parts of the world, ex- exiled to other places like Sioux Falls, South Dakota? <laughs> if the radical left wins the coming election, is the sovereignty of God's kingdom doomed? If millions of people in this world are quarantined, boxed in, limited in their movements on account of the guidelines established by the CDC, does that mean that the mission of God is necessarily brought to a grinding halt? Or what if a new regime or administration at your place of employment chooses to sideline you like Daniel? Tuck him away someplace where your skills and your experience are hidden in obscurity. Does this mean that God's developmental work in your life is on hold? What if you, like the people of Judah, have been sinfully unfaithful? And there you are in Babylon. Does that mean that God is no longer with you, present, active, getting things done. Listen, not only was Belshazzar weighed in the balance and found wanting, his gods failed the test. He praised his gods of wood, stone, gold, silver, blah, 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 ascribing to them glory and honor. But could his gods keep the Lord's hand from breaking up the party? Could they keep him safe from the Medes and the Persians? It may have seemed to the Babylonians that when they, you know, they wiped out Judah as a nation and destroyed their temple and had triumphed over Israel's, that they had triumphed over Israel's God as well. It might have seemed that way, but as this narrative unfolds, it is clear again and again and again that the mighty God, he could defend the honor of his sacred vessels. He can defend and sustain the lives of his faithful followers. The Lord saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But Bel and Marduk, the gods of the Chaldeans, were rather powerless to save Belshazzar from the Medes and the Persians. Friends, this is for our encouragement. God is with you in your exile. God reigns in your exile. God's purpose is being fulfilled even in your exile. But to those of you who would join Belshazzar's feast, as it were, to those of you who would accept an invitation 
to Belshazzar's table, as it were. Beware of presuming upon God's grace. He knew the truth about God. Verse 22 again. And you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. That's a strong word. Belshazzar had the opportunity right then and there to pray and seek God's face and turn from his arrogance and presumptuous folly. Would you like, Neb- like Belshazzar pass up such mercy? Christ Jesus died on a cross to atone for such pride and he will not turn away anyone who calls upon his name. So, like we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Come to him and live now. And for those of us who have had our eyes opened by God's grace to, to see, to recognize, to own up to our emptiness, the story of Belshazzar should act as yet another reminder of the depths of God's mercy. I mean, who am I? that I should receive an invitation to his feast and be counted as a friend at his table while others stand outside, bitter, ungrateful, proud, doing stupid stuff. There's nothing that makes me worthy of such a great inheritance. Nothing. But how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love that the Lord has poured out on us. You, the, the irony I just can't get over is you know, Jesus had none of this outward glitz and pow, you know, for, for, for which the world clamors so passionately. He had virtually no possessions. He had relatively very few followers. He had no outward beauty or majesty to make him a pop star. He appeared as a humble carpenter, not a powerful emperor. And therefore, Jesus, he never had the resources to throw some extravagant party for a thousand of his friends. But his kingdom was not of this world. And when Jesus' life was weighed in God's balance. It was found to be perfect and complete and able to satisfy fully the demands of God's holiness, not just for himself, but for all who come to God through him. So, loved ones, this, his great banquet awaits us in the future at the end of all time. There will be... Th- Not a thousand. There will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of blood-bought friends seated at his table. At that feast, there will be no foolish pride, no indiscretion, drawing attention to one's self, one's achievements, or one's folly. Rather, every single person who is there will confess freely that they have been saved by God's mercy and they've been counted holy and blameless in God, by God's grace. 
those who have had their lives weighed on God's balance scales in union with Christ will never lose their awe that sinners like them should be invited and welcome to share at that table. May that be so for you. Let's pray together. It's been our prayer, Lord, that you would magnify the truth and your promise that when Jesus is lifted up, you do a work of drawing. When Christ is proclaimed, when the cross is proclaimed, it is this truth by which you magnify your grace to beget newness of heart. You make people new from the inside out. And in that newness, there is a spiritual understanding and a spiritual knowing and a spiritual apprehending and a spiritual ability to take hold of Jesus. Would you put that on display again here today? Magnify the goodness of Christ and the wonder of the gospel. A mystery that has now been unfolded, untangled, made clear to us in the cross. Draw sinners to yourself. Draw fallen, unfaithful ones back to yourself. Restore prodigals, O God. Break through, break through darkness, break through brokenness, break through sinful strongholds, break through Belshazzar-like nonsense and draw people to yourself today. We ask that you would do this for your name's sake.